Hello and welcome to episode 128 of Cho Squared. I'm your host, Andrew Cholney, and a great conversation heading your way today at Cho Squared and at Chelney Andrew, C-H-E-L-N-E-Y Andrew on Twitter, at Cho Squared on Facebook. Give the show that shiny, shiny, shiny five-star review on our podcast. The more reviews, the more likely the show is to get recommended by the algorithm, we're back to being weekly show, so subscribe now for the best hockey podcast in town. New episode every single Tuesday. You might be saying, but Andrew, today is Wednesday. I know today is Wednesday. Yes, I I, I don't check the calendar often, but when I do, I know that today is Wednesday. I am aware, but yesterday was my birthday, so we, you know, I, I didn't want to, personally was not inclined to talk about the intricacies of, let's say, the Ricard Raquel trade while not, let's say to keep that clean sticker going in the right headspace. Joe Squared is a part of the Hockey Podcast Network, and though I'm a full-time associate producer at SiriusXM NBA Radio, this podcast is not affiliated with the, po- with the company in any way. The opinions expressed in this podcast are mine and mine alone, and may or may not reflect the views of SiriusXM. Joining Cho Squared today is a friend of the show, a returning guest, been on multiple times in the past. He is the unofficial co-host of Cho Squared at this point. He is the senior NHL writer for The Score. It is the great John Mattis. John, what's up? Welcome back. Thanks for having me on, and I feel like I need to do a disclaimer, too, that uh, my opinions don't represent the score, and (laughs) (laughs) as the unofficial co-host, I gotta have a disclaimer, too, do I not? Absolutely, absolutely. So, we have have a ton of trade stuff to get to here, but one trade is still kind of breaking here as as we hop on the show, and it is Evgeny Dadnov. Right now, we don't really know what's happening. Frank Saravelli is saying that the trade is probably going to get voided. Apparently, Vegas didn't know Dadnov had a 10-team no-trade clause, and Anaheim was on that list of teams that he didn't want to get traded to. So when the trade went down, the NHL basically shut it down. I don't know how Vegas didn't know. Ottawa didn't let them know. I who knows what's going on? This is really important, not only for for Dadnov's future, but also that cap space was really crucial to Vegas because they were going to use some of it to activate Martinez or Stone from LTIR. But now, according to Caterpillar, they have less than half a million dollars of cap space left. And I don't know what they do now. So they, ha- they need to clear $9 million for both of these guys to get activated. John, if this trade does officially get voided, what is Vegas going to do? Well, off the top, Andrew, I did see in my email, the NHL just announced that they have voided it. So that's official. It's They actually called it canceled. The Dadunov trade has been canceled. So that's official. And as for what Vegas does, I mean, they have to somehow figure out a way to trade Dadunov even after the deadline, which you know, sounds paradoxical if that's even a word um, because it's past the deadline, but you can trade guys to non playoff teams after the deadline. Like Dadunov wouldn't be able to play in the playoffs. So he could go to Arizona, for example, and that would be a trade that would be kosher and would help the golden Knights get under the cap. But obviously the NHL will probably step in here, probably have a voice in this conversation and the NHLPA because at the end of the day, Dadnov is getting screwed, right? He he had this no no uh, no trade list with ten teams. Anaheim was on it, so he had that was his right. Well, this whole mess was created, and now he can't go 
or he, he's not going to Anaheim. Obviously, he didn't want to go there, but he also doesn't want to be in Vegas now because they just just tried to trade him. So for him to be in a playoff race as he is now and go to a non-playoff team, that just complicates things, makes his situation even worse. So I would imagine if the Golden Knights do try to trade him to a non-playoff team, which I would assume they're attempting to do because they're in such a bind with the salary cap, uh, you would hope, I'll say, that the PA steps up, that the NHL steps up and says, listen, if if the player is unhappy with this, you know, we need to discuss uh, what you're doing here because it's it's a gigantic mess. And it essentially is a problem uh, for Vegas and for the NHL. I guess Ottawa could take a little bit of the blame here. We don't know the exact, you know, sequence of events that occurred here where Dadanov's no t- no trade list uh, didn't get communicated or got communicated poorly. We're not entirely sure. So maybe Ottawa takes a little bit of the blame. But at the end of the day, the Golden Knights and the NHL, because they technically approved the trade originally, the, like all the fingers are pointing at them and stuck in the middle is, is Dadanov. So anyways, that's a long way of saying this is yet to be um, finished and you got to feel for the player. And also it it's sort of karma right because the golden knights have been dancing this lti dance for for the whole year really and have been so brazen in their attempt to load their team up with stars i.e jack eichel and previously guys like patcheretti guys like uh petrangelo so gung-ho for a cup and, and you gotta love that but also they've been playing like it's a video game they have just been doing whatever they want and hoping that they, the money can figure itself out so it's obviously catching up to them here can they turn around? Can they pull out a rabbit out of their hat? Probably, um, but that remains to be seen. Let's say I'm a GM of any team in the league besides Vegas. Why would I want to help the Vegas Golden Knights and their cap situation? Why would I want Evgeny Dadnov? I would imagine Vegas is going to include a draft pick or a prospect or something else as a sweetener to a team that just to take dad contract. But if I'm a GM of any team in the league, why would I want to help them? Well, let's just focus on Arizona. So there's a good chance. Arizona probably wants to help them because for two factors, one that, like you mentioned, they're going to get a sweetener. They're getting something out of this transaction that they're doing with Vegas. And two, they're getting dad who's a decent player. I mean, he's kind of overrated, kind of overpaid. He is what he is, but he's an NHL player. And guess what? The Coyotes need NHL players because they're about to start playing in a 5,000-seat college arena next year. So good luck in the free agency market. That's why they're going out and getting these college free agents. That's why they just signed Jack McBain to a contract after acquiring him during the, the deadline day. Like They are desperate to get players to sign with them, as as crazy as that sounds, because they're, they're one of 32 teams that has – um, uh, spots open for potential NHLers and Dadnov has a year left on his contract. So like, I actually totally get it from Arizona's perspective, but also at the same time from Vegas's perspective, if they're dealing with Arizona, they're dealing with, uh, without much power, without much leverage there, because there's only gonna be so many teams that are going to be willing to take on Dadnov. And so that creates this sort of friction in terms of the package going the other way. So there could be a stare down in a sense between Bill Armstrong, the GM of Arizona and Kelly McCrimmon, the GM of Vegas. Uh, if it does get down to that point, because you've got 
two teams in completely different situations and one one team really needs to get a problem off their hand and the other team's going We'd like your problem, but also, like, what are you going to give us in return? Yeah, I mean, listen, I know Bill Armstrong is listening confirmed to this right now. So, listen, I'm a UFA. John, I, I, <laughs> I believe I believe you, too, are an NHL UFA. I, if you need bodies, I mean, listen, like, my DMs are open. John, your DMs are open. Bill, come right on in. I'll sign. I'll, I'll, listen, I won't, I won't promise you I'm good. I won't. I promise you, I won't be an NHL caliber player. But if you need bodies, my DMs are open for you. Well, John, let's <laughs> let's dive into some of these biggest trades uh, of this past deadline. Let's pretend we're teachers here because we're going to be handing out grades, and later on we'll get into which teams are the biggest winners and losers as well. So the the biggest trade, I think, of course, is the Claude Giroux deal. The Florida Panthers got Claude and also Connor Bunneman from the Flyers for Owen Tippett, a first round pick in twenty twenty four and a third-round pick in 2023. For the Florida Panthers, I gave him an A-plus. I mean, listen, you're getting Claude Giroux for uh, Owen Tippett, who hasn't worked out for Florida Panthers at all so far. First-round pick and a third-round pick for, for a Claude Giroux type of player. I mean, that's A-plus every day of the weekend. For Philadelphia, I gave him a B-minus. I mean, like... There's only so much you can do here if Claude Giroux wants to go to Florida. Uh, yeah, he wants to go to Florida, and you you can't really send him anywhere else. I guess you got the best that you could have done. I like I Owen Tippett to me has not impressed so far. I think he's 23 years old, so there's still time for him to grow. But Philadelphia kind of gotten the best they could, but I'm still not impressed by what Philly got in return. Yeah, I'd give uh, Florida an A. I'm not not willing to go to A plus, although I see where you're coming from. And then I would give Philly a B minus, right in your territory. And similar talking points where Owen Tippett, sure, he could pop off in Philly. I mean, he was dynamic in junior with that that wicked shot he has. He hasn't really shown it in in Florida, but also he kind of got stuck behind a, a ton of talented forwards. And the coaching change from Quenville to Brunette did not help his ice time or his usage. And then also, if you sort of galaxy brain this a little bit, the first round pick that Philly got was in 2024. So if they're trying to retool and not tear this thing down that they have and completely start from scratch, then how useful is that first rounder in 2024 to what you're trying to do? Because that player won't make the NHL till at least 2026. It's going to be presumably late in the first round. So there's, there's sort of a development plan there. So yes, it's a first rounder and all first rounders are valuable, but it would have been a lot better if it was 2022 or 2023, because that player could theoretically help you move along here as you try to build around, you know, the Couturier's and the Provorovs and the Farabees and Frost of your your young core there. So pretty interesting trade. And, you know, my biggest takeaway, honestly, is that Giroux is joining the literally the best offensive team of the salary cap era. And you wonder, like, is there enough ice for all these guys or are they just going to completely overwhelm teams with the pace that they play with, with the skill, uh, with the, the, the pre-shot movement? Like they are a really scary team already. And you add Giroux to that mix. Good luck. Like, I, you know, Andrew, I'm not even exaggerating. I mean, this, these day, these stats are like a couple days old, but 
Florida at 4.07 goals per game through 62 games. They that's the best in the salary cap era as it is now. And we're really deep in the season. So we're not just talking about some, you know, weird, funky numbers from the start of a season. Like they could easily finish as the best offensive team in the salary cap era and they just added Drew. So that's scary. Yeah, I mean, they were a, a very dangerous team before they got Drew, and now they have Drew and I guess also Ben Chirot. But that's, you know, Ben Chirot, that trade. Uh, I, I I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that later here. But uh, moving on to the defensive side, because we I did mention Ben Chirot here a second ago, Hampus Lindholm mm. to the Boston Bruins, as well as uh, minor leaguer Cody Curran uh, to the Boston Bruins. And the Ducks got a hole and a half. They got John Moore's contract. They got... Uh, prospect Erho back and and they also got a first round pick from this season a second round pick from next season and a second round pick from 2024 i'm giving the ducks an a plus i mean they got an absolute haul and a half for a pending ufa you can't really ask for much more i mean and boston gave them an eight-year extension Lindholm was not signing in Anaheim and to get that kind of package for a player like that is I think you couldn't ask for much more if you're a Ducks fan and for Boston I mean I this might be a little harsh I'm giving him a C minus because mm. here's the thing I love I really like Campus Lindholm's game uh, the the focus that I'm trying to 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 point the direction to here is not about Lindholm specifically because I think he he will do a lot of good for the blue line uh, of the Boston Bruins. I think they gave up uh, probably just way too much to acquire him. The first two seconds, a defensive prospect. I mean, I I feel like with the the John Moore throw in might have facilitated the need to give up a set another a second round pick or maybe possibly back in as well but that's a lot for somebody who is is definitely maybe a top four defenseman but he's not an elite top two 30 minute a game defenseman and he won't be that for the boston bruins so that to me Again, maybe my grade is a little bit too low here. I'd see minus for Boston. And Lindholm, is, I think, is going to do a lot of good for them. I think they overpaid, and that's why I gave them a C minus. Yeah, I'm going to bring down your A+, plus, which you're giving out like candy at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to downgrade that uh, to an A for the Ducks. And then with the Bruins, I'm a little kinder to them. Uh, I'd give them a B. And with the Bruins, it's mostly like... You know, comparing it to the Sherrod package, I think that it's not bad. It's not great. I think, uh, you know, if if this was the deal before the Sherrod deal, you go, wow, okay, like, what are you doing setting the bar this high for rental defensemen? But it was after. So the, the bar was set. Um, the fact that they signed Lindholm, or, sorry, they acquired him with the understanding that they were going to re-sign him, I think that's something you need to factor into the equation. From Anaheim's perspective, they don't give they don't they don't care uh, if if Boston signs into an extension, right? But from Boston's perspective, it is important. I think that's relevant to the discussion. So, you know, Lindholm, not a Norris Trophy caliber player like his his new partner. At least I saw uh, the lines on Twitter today. Uh, Charlie McAvoy, he's not at that standard, but I think he's a really good top four guy. Like kind of jack of all trades in terms of like. He can play in any position. Uh, he can play the left and right side. He can, uh, you know, can be physical. He can move pucks. He's a really good skater. He doesn't do anything exceptionally well, but does enough things really well that I think he's pretty effective. 
there's a bit of a red flag there with the injuries he's dealt with and his age. Like, I don't love the contract given he's going to expire like 36 or 35 um, and making 6.5. That's not ideal. But again, we're sort of judging this more on the package and the, the return and all that stuff. So Again, I give uh, I give props to the Ducks here with an A, and I give I guess slight props to the Bruins with a B. Um, but there's a few question marks there, um, and it's all within the context of well, Boston's kind of going for it here because Patrice Bergeron is getting really old. And we'll circle back to Boston because I ha- later on when we talk about winners and losers, I do have some thoughts that I want to get uh, out mm. about them. Uh, maybe Boston Bruins fans, maybe they probably won't like what I'm, what I'm going to say, but we'll get to that <laughs> when we get to that. Let's, I mentioned Ben Chirot here a second ago. Let's recap that trade really quickly. It's Ben Chirot, just Ben Chirot, nothing else for, uh, uh, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. It's Ty- Tyler, I want to say, Smilanich. Yes, I think that's right. As somebody that works in basketball, and this is an NHL podcast, I, I said this uh, with, when I had CJ Woodling on last week that like, I don't have time to watch college hockey and I don't know who this person is. Like there's, I have no, <laughs> I have no shame in admitting that I don't know something, right? I don't know who this Tyler person is. I have no idea, not a single clue, but the Canadians got him and a first round pick and a fourth round pick for him. I think that, I, I mean, listen, I know, I know what your policy is on a pluses here, John, but <laughs> I, I think, I think this time you'll agree that Montreal deserves an a plus to get a first round pick. For Ben Sherratt, who is a defenseman, I sure on like he he definitely plays defenseman on a <laughs> NHL team to get a first overall pick plus a fourth round pick plus a, a college prospect for him. You can't really I like I, you're gonna you're gonna bounce you're gonna push back and say well you can't stop you know the A's A pluses man what are you doing I'm gonna give him an A no but like but for Florida. I mean, I don't even know. Like, what kind of grade would you would you give Florida? Because I guess Ben Sherratt gives them depth, so like, it's not an F. But I guess I'll have to give him a D, man. Like, trading trading a first round pick for Ben Sherratt, it's it's getting it's getting near near uh, near Travis Hamonic levels of bad for yeah, in I mean- terms of trade. I, I think you can probably only give one or two Fs out of a trade season, right? So let's save that for the Vegas Golden Knights and what they did with uh, Dadnov. And then you could also save it for the Ottawa Senators yeah. and picking up Travis Hamannick for a third-round pick. Just uh, just a mind-boggling trade. But to, to circle back on on this particular trade with Sherrod, yes, I, I'm I'm on your side. I'm going to go A-plus with, uh, with the Canadians. Kent Hughes just reels in an absolute haul for a guy who, like, I have nothing – I have no problems with Ben Schrott, but I felt like the hype around him just was, yeah. was outrageous. Like, and, and that's, you know, those are, that's not necessarily median fans. Like this sounds like more of a, an insular hockey thing in the NHL, the front offices, the scouts, the, the people making these decisions. Uh, so like a part of me goes, okay, you know, they see something we don't, but, but at the same time, he's definitely not a top pair guy. Like he's a number four, I think on, on a good team. So to give up that much, um, good for, for the Habs. And there was a point there where Chirac got hurt. So this could have turned ugly, uh, on their end. But, uh, but for Florida, I, I guess, you know, this is not silver lining, but I guess the rationale could be, they knew that Ekblad was going to be out here. They knew that they're going to have problems on the back end going into the playoffs. 
It's looking like Ekblad won't be back to the first round. So you could sort of, you know, justify it there where it's like, what if Ekblad's not 100%? We really need to beef up our, our blue line. We also need the physicality that Sherrod brings. So, you know, I could I could understand if uh, within their, their brain trust, they started talking themselves into it. And it, there's a bidding war, right? I mean, like I said, the hype around Sherrod was was nonstop, at least in Canada. I mean, it felt like we all forgot about, you know, guys like, like Hampus Lindholm and some other pretty good defensemen that were rentals and just focused on Chirot, which is bizarre. Um, and I mean, he, he just helped the team go to the Stanley cup finals. So there's sort of that, I guess, shine to Chirot, right. Where, uh, even though the Canadians, uh, kind of not lucked their way to the cup final, but they sort of, uh, grinded their way there and didn't necessarily, um, uh, weren't necessarily the second best team in the NHL. They definitely weren't actually, um, that doesn't mean that Trot wasn't important to that run and didn't show other teams what he's made of. And we were, we're in a results business here in the NHL. Right. So anyways, that's a long way of saying I can see where Florida's coming from, but that doesn't make what they did and any more acceptable. So, so I'm, I'm in and around a D like you are. And yes, uh, Ken Hughes, the new GM in Montreal hit it out of the park with this one. We mentioned him a second ago. Got to circle back. Travis Hamannick <laughs> to the Senators <laughs> for, astonishingly, a third-round pick. The The stories coming out about Hamannick recently that he wasn't very well-liked in the Vancouver locker room. Also, the Senators literally could have had him for free. Earlier mm-hmm. in the season, they could have had him for free. And yet, they purposely, not by accident, send Vancouver a third-round pick to get Travis Hamannick, I, I, I mean, listen, like I know he said, let's not give out too many A pluses and Fs here, but I mean, Ottawa F F minus, if if that even exists. <laughs> I mean, like, what what is? I don't know what that was about. And for Vancouver, A plus plus, man, like you got you got rid of Travis Hamannick's contract and reportedly his attitude, and you got a third round pick. I mean, you can't like this is this is an absolute home run of a deal for Vancouver. I mean, am, am I wrong here? No, no, no. You're totally on point, and I I love that they Vancouver acquired Travis Dermott for a third round pick on either the same day or the day after, and it's like, huh, Travis Dermott. Travis Hamannick, which one would you rather have? I mean, every day of the week, it's it's Travis Dermott, who isn't a perfect player, but you know he could be your sixth defenseman, and he's 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 good if he's sheltered. Like he's a he's he's an upgrade on Hamannick, and like you mentioned, the, there's the personality thing. Uh, Mark Mathot, uh was was going off on Twitter, obviously the former NHLer, saying um, that Travis Hamannick not very well liked, and it seemed like uh, that wasn't a hot take that. It was something that that is shared widely. And from Ottawa's perspective, like I could understand if they want to acquire someone to help along their young defenseman. Jake Sanderson's coming up through the 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 system. Eric Brandstrom's with them now. Thomas Shabbat, although he's 25, you know, it wouldn't hurt for him to be around some some veteran defenseman. But one, you know, is Hamannick the right guy? Like, it's not like on the ice he's doing anything special. And then off the ice, it doesn't sound like it as well. And, you know, another part of it is, can you not find that guy in free agency this coming offseason? And that doesn't mean you need to overpay for a guy. You could pick up a guy who's going to make a million a year and you, you've got your veteran, right? If if the whole play is, is the veteran presence, well, 
there's other ways of doing it. You can find them on the, on the free agency market and you don't lose that third round pick. And if they had done it for like a seventh, it's like, okay, fine, whatever. It's a seventh, but a third rounder, you can turn that into something. And for a team that seems to be perpetually in a rebuild in Ottawa, very odd, very odd trade. And I just, I don't get it on really any level. So, uh, yeah, big, uh, big F to, uh, to Pierre Dorian and the staff. Well, yeah, he got he got the F for that. He got the F, I guess, in not notifying Anaheim with the trade with the with the <laughs> with the no trade clause. I don't know what's going on there. But we're talking to John Mattis. He's the he's the NHL guru uh, for the score. Uh, Mark Giordano. Let's let's go there here for a second. Staying on the blue line here, the Toronto Maple Leafs got Mark Giordano as well as Colin Blackwell from the Kraken for two second round picks, one from this year and one for next year. For the Maple Leafs, quite you know maybe not an A plus, but I think I'd give him an A here. I mean, a two second round picks is a pretty a pretty hefty price, I would say. But Mark Giordano is really, really, really going to solidify that blue line for them, which has been an issue in 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 select as you know select periods of the season as well as for the last fifty years. It's been an issue for them. So yeah. now getting Mark Giordano should really, really solidify that for them. And also Colin Blackwell, who I guess in this regard is a throw in. He's a he's a solid fourth liner. I mean, my guy has really good underlying metrics. I've watched him play as a Ranger. I liked him when he was in New York. I mean, my, he 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 does the right things. He's you know he's in position a lot of the times. He's in the right position a lot of the times, and is is a player that you want in the lineup. So for for Toronto, I'll give him an A. For Seattle. I'll kind of give him a C here because I feel like they probably could have gotten more for Giordano and Blackwell as well. Two seconds kind of feels low. It's it's nice to have. Kind of feel like they probably could have had him for had a little bit of a better package in return. Yeah, you think they would have gotten a, a first in there somewhere, right? Given what defensemen went for elsewhere. Um, with Blackwell, correct me if I'm wrong, but he played with Panarin for points of last year, correct? At certain points, yeah. 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 So so that's a uh, a little side plot here right like if there's any injuries on the wing in toronto you slide them up and and have them play with uh you know Tavares or matthews or whoever so i assume that that was part of the equation for toronto they obviously like him in a depth role but having that versatility uh, in such a top heavy team is is super important when injuries start coming so no i i liked it for toronto i mean i i didn't you know, I didn't I didn't love it because I think that they still have problems in net. And even though this trade helps uh, with Giordano on defense and, and Blackwell also being a def- good defensive player, I don't I, I just I, it's kind of hard to uh, to contextualize because we don't know what's going to happen with Jake Muzzin. His concussion history is, is sketchy. He's still on his road back and, and we don't entirely know when he's going to come back, come back, how he's going to look especially when previously he didn't have a great season. So even though on paper Toronto's defense actually looks pretty good, if you rattle off the names, I mean, you got Morgan Riley, TJ Brody, Mark Giordano, Jake Muzzin, Ilya Labushkin, Rasmus Sandin, Justin Hall. That's your top seven. I mean, that's above average. I don't know where you put it in the NHL, but that's really solid. So you look, but then if you take Muzzin out of that, does does the sort of the house of cards start falling? I would, I would, I lean towards no, but since they have problems in net, it, it sort of makes you feel a little uneasy. So, I suppose my answer is more big picture with the Leafs. Um, but I, you know, I like the trade for them. 
And uh, I, I happen to agree with you on Seattle's end where compared to the other defensemen traded, I feel like they may have not gotten quite enough. Um, but again, you're dealing with uh, a player who has some control there, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he probably didn't want to go to some of the places that they could have traded him to. So, you know, the market was what it was. And Toronto Toronto GM Kyle Dubas was pretty open about not wanting to trade a first-rounder or a top prospect. So he got what he wanted. That That's for, for damn sure. And uh, Seattle probably left wanting a little bit more. Sticking to teams that probably want a little bit more, uh, the St. Louis Blues, for some reason, <laughs> traded Jake Wallman, Oscar Sundquist, and a second-round pick mm. in next year's draft. Again, I'm I'm reading this, and I this is two days later from the from the trade that this happened, and I still cannot believe this is a real deal. A second-round pick, Oscar Sundquist, and Jake Wallman for Nick Letty, who was real bad. Real bad in in Detroit. Real bad. And Luke Witkowski. Is this real? John, I'm reading this trade, and I cannot believe this is real. Again, I know you don't want me to give out A-pluses and Fs here, Here but if you're you're Detroit, (laughs) I mean, if you're Detroit, you're you're getting rid of Nicoletti, who, again, not good. Mm-hmm. And Luke Witkowski, who's I guess a depth defenseman. If he's you need, an HLer, if he's you need one, yeah, I mean he's there for a second round pick and two guys that could potentially be on the Red Wings for mm-hmm. you know for a long stretch of time here. You got you have to give CB Weiserman at least an A here. I mean this is an incredible haul for two defensemen who can't really play. So for for St. Louis, I give him an F for Detroit. Take all the A pluses. Take take seven pluses for all I care. Because you take you you get this kind of deal, you you gotta take it every day of the week, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, Sunquest is on the books for next year at two point seven five. That's fair. Like, I feel like they Walman's an RFA with Arbright, so we'll see what they do there. But yeah, I mean, Nick Letty was on his way out. He's washed up. I mean, I think Nick Letty in his prime. Uh, this trade makes a lot more sense. And perhaps St. Louis is thinking they can slot them into their blue line properly and find that that old Nick Letty somewhere deep down. Um, but no, I, I think this is basically the Blues going like, we lost out on this guy, we lost out on that guy. And going down the list of their defensemen that they were chasing and going like, we got to get Nick Letty, we got to get someone, right? I remember this was later on the day, so that lines up timeline-wise. wise but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't love it for St. Louis. I'm pretty much uh, in lockstep with you, and you know, you got to hand it to Steve Eiserman. The guy, the guy seems to pull, uh, pull off some some pretty nifty trades. I mean, Nedeljkovich that he acquired in the summer for a third. He now is a starting goalie. I realize he's not a perfect goalie, but I mean, for a third round pick, and and the age that Nedeljkovic is at, that was a phenomenal trade. Uh, the Verana Mantha trade. I guess it's it's a TBD at this point, but it's looking pretty good for Detroit. Um, if if Rana can can keep his health where it is uh, currently, so yeah, I mean Steve Eiserman's one of the best GMs in the league, and he kind of proves it every time uh, free agency comes around, deadline comes around, and this is just another example. The Colorado Avalanche now have gotten Josh Manson, and now a couple of days ago they got Arturi Lekkinen from the Habs. Lekkinen was rumored to be going 
everywhere. Everywhere and everywhere. Every team in the NHL was interested in Arturi Lekkanen, but the Avs got him for a second-round pick and prospect Justin Barron. Now, again, I have not watched a single second of Justin Barron. He's played... Two min, two games in the NHL, most of it, and and most of the season in the in the AHL, and then played in the Q before before this. So I haven't had a chance to look at him, and I'm not ashamed to admit that I can't watch every game and every league, and that's just the way that it goes here. But for the for the Colorado Avalanche, I mean, you're getting Artari Lekin, who is a proven potential top six guy and if if not a top six guy a very like probably too good for the third line kind of guy i mean he's 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 got his underlying metrics are incredible and for a for somebody that can really push the pace especially at five on five this is exactly the guy that colorado needs and for montreal i mean they've obviously are very high on justin Barron. again hopefully it pays out for them i don't like may- maybe john you can shed some light on on justin Barron specifically and the second round pick i mean always good to have that so in terms of, i think it's a pretty fair trade if if Everybody else is as high uh, on Justin Barron as as Montreal is, so I'll, I guess I'll give them both a B plus here. I think both teams got what they wanted. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I just I really like the trade for Colorado just based on where they're at in their trajectory and the type of player Lekkonen is. I mean, you think of that forward group and a lot of pace, a lot of uh, I guess firepower and. Just, uh, you know, a lot of killers. And you've got Lekkanen, who can be a little more subtle. Obviously, he's hard to play against. And he has that that side of him, that killer instinct side. But he's going to kill penalties. He can contribute offensively. Just a well-rounded guy. Kind of like, uh, New- uh, I can't, I always screw up his name. Nikushkin. I can't, <laughs> whatever comes out of my mouth, I completely butcher it. Val Nikushkin. There you go, Natushkin. So he's a UFA and Lekkonen is an RFA. Similar players. I wonder if they just let Natushkin leave and Lekkonen kind of takes his spot on the roster and on the books. So I thought that was interesting from a long-term perspective. And then them adding Nico Sturm, Andrew Cogliano. Like, I just I just have nothing bad to say about what the, the Avs did uh, and you can include the the Manson trade. Do I think they hit it out of the park? Did they acquire Giroux? No. Did they, you know, get Lindholm who, who maybe is a, a better fit than Manson, although that's arguably and not, not that's more of a debate. So like, it, it's fine. Like the best team in the league got marginally better. So uh, good for them. And for the Habs, uh, you know, if you compare the work that they did, say, compared to Seattle, people are getting really excited about the amount of picks that Seattle got. Well, I feel like the qualities there are more on Montreal's side. I feel like they really cashed in from a quality perspective in and around the deadline. And, well, I don't know what it is about uh, Ken Hughes, but he's off to uh, quite a start as as the new GM there. He seems to have a really good feel for things, which is impressive as a guy who's coming over from the agency side. Yeah, I mean, he's been great here. And one more trade before we jump into team winners and losers here. The Rangers got Andrew Kopp and a six-round pick next season uh, from the Winnipeg Jets for Morgan Barron, a conditional second-round pick this season, a conditional second-round pick next season, and also a fifth-round pick next season. And for the Rangers, I, I really like this trade because Andrew Kopp is a, is something that the Rangers desperately needed. They really mm. needed – they desperately needed a third line player that can contribute five on five anything 
because when Gregory McKegry was on was was playing on the third <laughs> line and and Dryden Hunt's playing on the third line and there's no offense being being done in any aspect uh, for the Rangers there. I mean, it 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 was really painful to watch because when you when Zabinajan and Panarin and Kreider weren't on the ice, there was no sort of offense to be had at all. But now you have Tyler Mott, and we'll talk about Mott and Braun here in a second here, but but Andrew Cobb provides that that offense and also that defense. I mean, he's a, he's a solid two-way player. He provides that kind of punch that the Rangers so desperately needed uh, on the third line. I kind of think they gave up a little bit too much for him, and that's why I gave the the Rangers a B here, and I'll give up the Winnipeg Jets a B plus. I kind of think that the Winnipeg Jets made out with this deal. I mean, they got they got a haul for him, and also I I think Morgan Barron could be uh, a very solid bottom six guy for the Winnipeg Jets. He really didn't get a whole lot of ice time. Uh, the, a leash was non-existent for him either in New York. <laughs> I think given a little bit of space to breathe here, I think Barron could become the the Jets 3C or 4C for a while if given the opportunity to. So I think both teams got got what they wanted, but I think the Jets maybe won this trade just slightly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd give maybe B pluses to both teams, like kind of like it's very obvious which way both teams are going and they met in the middle in terms of the packages. I, I felt it was fine. And I don't know about you, Andrew, but... I'm looking at Andrew Kopp and I'm going, this smells of an extension in New York. Just the way that the team is being built in in the Raiders organization where they acquire their top talent, whether it's Shesterkin, all-world goalie, Adam Fox, all-world defenseman. Obviously, Panarin was acquired uh, a few seasons ago. Kreider, unbelievable season. Zibanejad is, Zibanejad is who he is in terms of the the quality of, of play that he brings. Like, the top end of the roster is settled. They started you know, figuring out the bottom end or, or the mid, the middle of it, uh, last off season with, with Goodrow. I feel like this is another, another addition in that sense where I just, I, I just can really see cop settling in there long-term and you hit, you hit it right on the head, right at the top, off the top of the discussion with this trade is they needed a guy like him so bad. There's such a big drop off from their top six to their bottom six. It's, it's kind of scary <laughs> for a team headed to the playoffs. Um, so that's huge. And and like I said, I, I feel like it could snowball into an extension. They obviously got to be careful there because he's a UFA. He's looking to be paid. But maybe term is what they can offer uh, to bring that AAV down. So um, pretty interesting trade. And, and you know, <laughs> Winnipeg's such a weird team where they I think they overvalue themselves or they they overrate themselves, I should say. So I guess it was nice for them to say goodbye to, to Andrew Kopp and not hang on to these hopes of the playoffs. Um, so if you're a Jets fan, you're going, oh, yay, you know, I guess this is good. Because um, in the past, uh, you know, they've they seem to have just thought that they've uh, that they're better than they are. So, yeah, B plus for both teams. John, who are your biggest winners of the trade deadline? We're talking about overall teams, not just specific trade deals, but in terms of teams that have benefited the most from this deadline, who are your biggest winners? Okay, I'm going to give you three. Um, so Anaheim, I just really like the amount of uh, the amount of uh, assets that they acquired from trading Ricard Raquel, J- 
Josh Manson and Hampus Lindholm. When you kind of combine it all, you give Pat Verbeek a nice pat on the back uh, as the new GM there. He's not going, you know, one foot into this uh, into this rebuild or into this job. He's like, listen, we have a lot of work to do. Let's get let's get some assets. I love the sort of the boldness of his deadline. I got to give Florida a winner tag just because, you know, you acquire the best player available in Giroux. And I, the I, fit. I, I like, thought you were going to say Ben Sherrod for a second. No, no. <laughs> um, like, that's that's what I was getting to. Like, if you could see me, Andrew, I'm kind of using my hands to sort of, um, ex, you know, ex, express that. Like, hold on. I'm not done uh, saying anything. <laughs> like, they got yeah. the best forward. And even though I don't like the package for Sherrod, they still improve their defense. They're a contender. They're all in. I'm happy they weren't cautious. Uh, so I give them a win because I just think you got to reward your fans. Like you're a juggernaut right now. You haven't won a playoff series since 1996. Yes, that is a real fact. And like they just swung for the fences in a lot of ways. Should they have with Ben Sherrod in terms of, you know, was he a, a home run uh, worth chasing for lack of a better analogy. Um, but they did it. They land, they technically, if you're looking at the, the, the different trade boards and, and the rankings of positional um, players, you know, Giroux and Sherrod were right up there and they got both of them. So I give them props. And then the third team that I'll mention here, and I, I have a, a few others that I could, but one team that we haven't talked about is the Minnesota wild. They are in such a really narrow window here to make some noise in the playoffs because they have the buyout of uh, Parise and Suter kicking in next year where they're going to have 14 million in dead money. Like they, they needed to, well, they didn't need to do something this season, but I think it's really nice that they did something. And flurry obviously has a connection to bill Guerin and they, they, they were able to make that trade work where their one real weakness was in goal yet. They have a team that plays strong defensively. So you assume a guy like flurry, uh, will really flourish in that environment. So I like that trade for them. And then I also like that they picked up Jacob Middleton. He's going to play on their bottom pair probably, but he's cheap and maybe a guy that they re-sign um, this summer as an RFA. So I like what Minnesota and Florida and Anaheim did. I'm just going to quickly throw out that I like Tampa picking up Hagel. Yes, it was a big price, but they're going for it. And I, I like that, that aggression. And then all, the last team I'll mention is, is the Rangers in terms of the overall picture. We mentioned that they really need to improve their bottom six and just their depth in general. Well, I think they accomplished that with Mott, Braun, and Cop. We can argue about the packages going the other way, but I think they're a winner in terms of like, you know, really bringing up the floor of their team. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to echo most most of what you said here. I think Montreal, definitely a biggest winner. Uh, mm. Anaheim, another big winner. I mean, they got so much. They got so many pieces for, for what they were trading away that it would be, I think, disingenuous to not, put, to not picture them as a winner because of the kinds of returns that they got in return for pending UFAs and RFAs and guys that just weren't a part of the long-term picture of their, you know, in their organizations. I think one team that you didn't mention that I, that I think it deserves mentioning is the Colorado Avalanche, right? With getting Josh Manson, getting Arturi Lekkinen for picks and, you know, and prospects and all of that. When you have a team like the Colorado Avalanche, you want to, you're, you're winning now. And these picks and prospects are, are great and all, but when you are a contending team that needs, that needs a couple more pieces to really 
become a, the ultimate juggernaut, you know, in the NHL. These are the kinds of trades that you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. And my only concern with Colorado is their goaltending. That see that is kind of a question mark to me, at least for right now. We'll see what happens come come playoff time. But that is really my only level of questioning in terms of that roster. The forward group is ridiculous. The the blue line is ridiculous. Now can the goalies just just be okay. Just be okay, because you don't for for Colorado. It would be nice to have like a Vasilevsky or Shesterkin in net for you, but with the kind of talent that they have everywhere else on the team, just just be okay, and the half a land should be okay. And you mentioned a couple of other trades that we that we didn't get to. Flurry Hagel. If we went over every trade, we'd be here for the whole day. And <laughs> we have to. We have you know this. This is unfortunately not a three hour radio show, but at SiriusXM NHL. If you're listening, DMs are open. You know where you know where to find me. Um, but you know we'd be here for a while. So we, I had to skip over those. Um, I also think the Rangers are one of the biggest winners here. And you know trade individually aside getting andrew cobb getting tyler mott getting justin braun while also not breaking the bank is such a huge deal for this roster because like we talked about their defensive their blue line depth it was not great their forward group was even worse so getting andrew cobb to really solidify that blue line uh, not blue line, the third line the getting tyler mott who is an actual F nhl fourth liner because i could i could list off a couple people that have played on the fourth line for the rangers that are not nhl players so actually getting nhlers that can play in the, in the bottom six for them was great and they didn't give up a whole ton for tyler mott just a fourth round pick for andrew cobb yeah we talked about it you know a little bit here and there about maybe maybe a little bit too much but still Andrew Kopp a really solid piece for them and Justin Braun who played on a really bad Philly team still had really good defensive metrics for a guy that you know he's not 22 anymore he's he's not and he won't score anything for you just don't even just put him in your own end and he will defend he will defend your own net well that's that's about what he does because if you put him if you have the puck on his if he has the puck on his stick in the offensive zone there's there's not a whole lot there for him but he really does solidify that blue line for them hopefully that means that the rangers will stop playing libor hayek cuz that man <laughs> cannot play NHL hockey, and I've said this on Twitter, and this is going to sound harsh. Uh, Libor Hayek makes me miss Jack Johnson. I mean, Ooh. my Libor Hayek just unfortunately cannot play hockey at the NHL level. Um, and with this Justin Braun trade, I would imagine that Libor Hayek will not see uh, the Rangers ice unless multiple injuries happen. But even then, hopefully, he <laughs> hopefully it doesn't happen. Bit your biggest losers of the trade deadline, John. Oh, probably Ottawa. We already touched on the Hamannick trade. I just, I just don't really get that. And then they also didn't do much otherwise, which for a team uh, in their position is is questionable. I think Washington's a loser too. I mean, they pick up Marcus Johansson as like this guy used to be good about 10 years ago. Now he's just kind of an NHLer, and they weren't able to solidify or upgrade their goaltending. So even though they're up against the cap and I like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, the people in their front office aren't very smart. I'm sure they tried to get things done, but 
Yeah, they, they weren't able to really pull the trigger on anything. So they got to be losers uh, as a team that is, is is certainly in the playoffs in the East and will make the playoffs unless something drastic happens. But they're looking like the weakest link out there. So they weren't able to improve. That's that's the loser territory. Um, the Kings also didn't do much. I'm kind of ha- there. There may be uh, if we're doing tiers of the losers, they're closer towards the spectrum of a, of a winner um, just because their their time isn't now. In my opinion, I think they you know, holding on to assets, not making any rash decisions is probably smart. But that being said, they are second in their division and, and didn't really do much. So you start thinking, OK, like, was there a deal there that they they missed out on? Um, so I guess the inactivity there. Uh, not great. Um, I don't know. Vancouver. I don't know. Uh, I, I felt like they could have done more um, as a team selling, you know, lots of rumors around JT Miller, Connor Garland. And uh, I'm thinking of another big name for Brock Besser and none of them traded and you know, whatever they're trying to figure things out between Jim Rutherford and uh, Patrick Alvin. So, you know, we give them some breathing room, but when you look at what they did, the deadline, it wasn't much. And I think that they could have accomplished a lot more. So, you know, <laughs> without uh, forgetting about Vegas uh, and and that debacle, I will give uh, I will I will give you the floor for the losers. That's my list. <laughs> well, I have I have a few, and and I will echo a lot of what you said as well. But the three that I have that really jump out at me one might be a little surprising to you, but it's the Chicago Blackhawks mm. because for a team that is real bad. Not good, as I mean, this is you know, if you're a Blackhawks fan, especially you, you know, this mm-hmm. they got a second round pick for Mark Andre Fleury. Okay, they held on to Calvin DeHaan, which really did not make any sense to me because he's a UFA, he's probably gonna walk unless they have maybe a, maybe they talked contract extension with him, but I don't know, I don't even know at this point, like at if he's coming back in the offseason anyway, why not trade him now for something and then he could sign right back in July? I don't know why they kept him, even though the rumor, you know, there were a lot of teams interested in him. Keeping Calvin DeHaan is a real head-scratcher to me. And mm-hmm. now with Chicago, with Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane on the rumors surrounding them, you got Jonathan Taves earlier this this after you know the, earlier this morning saying how he always envisioned that he would be in Chicago, but now he doesn't know and this and that. So now the uncertainty, you know, with your leaders in the locker room, there's a lot of questions here surrounding the uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, and not a whole lot of answers come and go with this trade deadline. They got rid of Mark Andre Fleury, a second, you know, they got a second round pick for him. That's kind of it. Well, they got, you know, they got a little bit with with Brennan with Hagel. I mean, that was yeah. a good deal for them. But overall, the, the this draft for me leaves more questions than answers for the long-term plan for Chicago, and that's why I have them listed as losers, but not as big of a loser. And this is this, this might surprise you as well. The Boston Bruins, and I'll tell you why. Hmm. The Boston Bruins all season, right? Lin, Lindholm is is going to be great for them. That's not that's not my point of reference here. What I'm highlighting is their blatant hole at the second line center position mm, yes. that they did not fix. They just left it there, and they were maybe hoping that David Krejci, after a season in the Czech Republic, would come back and maybe play for them. That's not happening, and their plan B was to 
do nothing, I guess. I, they didn't they didn't fill it anyway. The problem that has plagued them all season will continue to plague them for the rest of the season and the playoffs. And they they just maybe the deal wasn't there, or maybe they didn't like some of the deals that they could have been a part of, whatever the case may be. They did not fill a, a critical hole, which it was very surprising to me considering how they swung for the fences for Hampus Lindholm. Well, if you're going to do that for Lindholm and give him the extension, you got to do that for a second line center. And they just ultimately did not do that. And that's why I pegged them as one of the losers as well. My final one, as you mentioned, the Edmonton Oilers, Derek Broussard and Brett Kulak are your saviors in Edmonton. Really? Really? I mean, I like Brett Kulak. I like him. I like Derek Broussard as a depth scorer for the Edmonton Oilers. Sure. Okay, that doesn't solve most of the issues the Edmonton Oilers currently have. Their goaltending carousel, still there, hasn't changed, still not good. <laughs> I, don't know what the, I don't know what the plan is there. They didn't do anything to address that. Oilers still need more depth scoring than they got. Derek Broussard hopefully is going to help them, but ultimately they needed at least one or two more bodies in there to really solidify the depth in the organization, they didn't do that. And their blue line is still kind of not super great. And Kulak is going to help that for sure. He's definitely a, a better plus than he is a, a minus. I'm still not impressed with the blue line and Edmonton really didn't do a whole lot else. So they are also one of my losers. I I'm on the, I'm on the, the same boat as you, if that makes sense. I'm on the same side as you for both Edmonton and Boston. The only thing I would say is that, it might be more of a, a a market thing because, for example, with Boston, with the the second line center, did we see a second line center quality player get moved? I wonder if just the market wasn't there. Um, and and another thing with Boston is they didn't trade Fabian Lysel um, or any of their other top prospects. So I sort of put them more in the middle of of the league in terms of the the winners and losers. With Edmonton, I, I agree. But again, you know, what's the market for the goalies out there? Are you just, you know, gung-ho, gung-ho and trading uh, everything for, I don't know, John Gibson, just to use a, a random example? Um, and then, you know, this season doesn't work out, and then it's just a complete tire fire in the in the offseason? I mean, you could do that, and it, it wouldn't be the worst decision, I guess. But at the same time, it's a very difficult trade to pull off near the deadline, and even though I don't like their goaltending as much as anyone, they're kind of stuck with it the way they've uh, laid their bed. So uh, by no means is Edmonton a winner in my books. But I feel like since only really Flurry got traded, I'm trying to think of other goalies. I guess Kakinen, but that was in response to the Flurry trade, um, that the goalie market wasn't wasn't really heating up. So uh, I agree with you in terms of them them you know swinging and missing, but I feel like the market in both instances were a little wacky. The last thing I'll bring up on the losers front is Nashville. Jeremy Lozon for a second I thought was a really <laughs> weird trade. Yeah. Um, and man, like, what is the defenseman market seriously? Like the you know on one end you've got Ben Chirot going for what he went for, on uh, you know, and then you know you you go down a couple of pegs and then you've got. You know, Jeremy Lozon going for a second when he should go for like a fifth or something. And then you've got Travis Hammond going for a third when he should go for a seventh. And then you've got guys going for second round picks that you're like, oh, that seems like a decent deal. So I felt like the defenseman, there were so many defensemen that got moved, right? That was sort of the story of the deadline, them and sort of depth forwards. 
those were the hot commodities aside from, you know, the, the Jerusalem of the world, but the defense market was just bizarre in terms of, I don't know if it's just the way that these teams view the, these players, like Nashville's really high on Jeremy Lozon for some reason. Um, or if it's just, uh, kind of negotiating against yourself and throwing out maybe a second to start the negotiation when it should have been a fifth and then working from there. Um, I just thought that trade was bizarre and, I don't think Nashville, correct me if I'm wrong, did anything else. So, again, inactivity isn't necessarily like automatic loser, but also you want to see teams get in the mix a little bit more, and Nashville certainly didn't. No, I mean, you're you're 100% right there as well. I mean, again, if we really wanted to dive into every single move that happened yeah. over in this trade deadline, we'd literally be here all day. And again, like this episode is almost an hour as is. I didn't plan for it to be this long. I don't think, John, you planned for it to be this long either. <laughs> but like, there's, there's so many trades that happened over the course of the last few days that has ripple effects for the entire league that we, you know, we had to focus on some of these. There's a few that you mentioned that we didn't get to. Because again, like if 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 we talked about Mark Andre Fleury and the Minnesota Wild and then the and the Predators and all this, we we this would literally be like a four hour episode. Like this, uh, we don't you don't have the time for that. I don't have the time for that. And you know, it's <laughs> this is uh, that's going to be a very long episode, also to edit, which would be which would be a bigger pain uh, in the in the you know where. But John, listen, you're outstanding. I I love having you on. As I feel like you know it this point considering i text you like every two and a half weeks to come back on the show so i love having you on as always also your content is great i love having you on and and thanks for uh, coming on and talking some trade deadline with me no problem andrew appreciate you uh asking me and uh yeah i'll get my disclaimer ready for next time i'll read it right <laughs> off the top we'll be in sync on that level and we'll get things rocking but no it's fine uh reminiscing if you will on the uh deadline it was a kind of a crazy uh 72 hours, I guess, if you include the the weekend, a steady flow of trades versus it, it all coming down at the at the same time. So that was actually kind of nice um, from a from a mental health perspective of <laughs> of being able to process things and then moving on to the next. So, anyways, uh, nice to to check in here and uh, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, and you are at Mattis John on Twitter at M A T I S Z John. If you're not following John on there, what you doing? What you doing? He's a, he's a must follow. I mean, he's, like I said, his content's great. His tweets are great. If you're not following him, I don't know what I don't know what you have Twitter for if you're not following him. As for me, at Chell Squared and at Chelney Andrew, C-H-E-L-N-E-Y Andrew on Twitter, at Chell Squared on Facebook. Again, that sh- give the show that five-star review on our podcast. I mean, th- it's, it's so important for the algorithm. The show is more likely to get recommended. It's very important. Please, if you, if you have a minute, that'd be very important to me. Thank you so much. And I'm your host, Andrew Chelney. Thanks for listening. Chell Squared. We'll be back next Tuesday. Talk to you then.